Sometimes, like, when you're, like, coming up with sermon, you just come up with really, really crazy ideas. I'm going through Hebrews 11 and 12 today, so um, it's going to be fun. If you want to open your Bibles, you can follow along there. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to start. But I think it's important to do it that way, because Hebrews 11 and 12 both fit together super well, because Hebrews originally was, uh, some scholars think, was actually a, a sermon itself that was then written down, and so it, and then passed to the other churches. And so the whole thing has, like, a big sermonic message, and so we're actually going to be going two chapters here. And so I want you, you don't necessarily have to read along with me, I want you to kind of hear some of this as if it were a message. I'm going to read to you from these chapters more like I was preaching it to start out with, all right? So don't necessarily have to read along, just listen. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. They were made out of things that were invisible. By faith... For example, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith... It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, for anyone who, to actually come to God, they would have to first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him to that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all, they died in their faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen him and greeted them from afar, 
and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I want to pause there for a second, because I would like to point out a lot of these themes that we're seeing here are actually very closely tied to what we've been covering for this whole past year, right? All of this faith that they're putting in is all the final stuff that we've been talking about in Revelation, right? God has prepared for them a city. We, we talked a lot about that in the last couple weeks here. And I want to talk to you guys today about the power of faith. The author is here, and, and I'm going to continue on for the rest of this passage, but I want to point out here, the author of Hebrews is first start defining this idea of faith, right? What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that we might not actually see right here, right now. And he points to those who came before us, those who lived by that faith that's being talked about. And when he points these things out, he shows everything that was accomplished through their faith. So I want to talk today about, first and foremost, the accomplishing power of faith. Our faith is effective. Our faith, it actually matters. A lot of times we hear faith and it's talked about, maybe not in church, maybe not, you know, within our communities, but often in the world it's talked about like it's an idea, it's a, it's a moral ideal that kind of helps us sleep better at night or get further along in life, right? That's kind of the idea of, of faith, right? This religion kind of stuff. It's much more real than that. Our faith has real effectual power because it is in a real effectual God. And those who came before us, he's pointing out here, never saw the promise that they put their faith in. What, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the Messiah, right? All throughout the whole Old Testament, which is pretty much all the examples from here, every example is from the Old Testament because the author is writing to the Hebrews, right? The Jewish people who are spread out, who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So they know their Old Testament very well. They know all these stories, which is why he's not telling them the stories of these people, right? He's just kind of referencing them one right after another. The purpose of that is because he knows they know these stories. I mean, they grew up on these stories, like Sunday school, right? I'm, I'm sure you at least recognize, if you grew up in Sunday school, at least a number of those on that list, right? Knowing the ark, you know, it's, 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 it's all the Bible stories that we grow up with. He's pointing to those and saying, look at the faith that they had. Their faith was founded on the fact that God, time after time again, was, I'm sending the Messiah. I'm sending a redeemer who's going to redeem the world through your line, through your generations. It's coming, I promise. Now, did then any of them actually ever see the Messiah come? No, right? They were dead and gone long before Jesus came. And so he's saying they never actually saw that. They looked at it from afar, 
But look at what that faith did. And as we continue on, let's keep reading here. And and he's going to say something really interesting about this. He's making a really important point here. Verse 17, if you're still following along. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises when it's in the act of offering him up as his only son, of whom it was said, though Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, he, hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, so he keeps, by faith, by faith, by faith, all of these people did all of these things. And I love what he says. Jump with me to, if you're following along, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, prophets, all of these people that we know and have been told growing up, all of their stories of how they lived by faith. Verse 33, who through look at all they did conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, but foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Is saying, look at what their faith gave these people the strength to do. Look at what they lived through. Look at what God had called them to do because of their faith in his promise. And here's the crazy thing. That faith wasn't even perfected yet, right? Their, Their faith was in Jesus was coming. But he's not here yet. And so the author of Hebrews point, the Messiah's come. You put your faith not in what God will do, but what he has accomplished. If they were able to do that, where's your faith? Are you living for what God has made perfect through Jesus Christ? So I want to talk about this accomplishing power of faith. Because when I look to these examples of, of what these people did in faith, sometimes I wonder, would I be able to do that, right? With the faith I have, with my faith in God, would I be able to make it through that? He explains all of these things that they were willing to go through, that they suffered through, that they, they struggled through. 
What an incredible display of faith for us to look to as an example. And the author of Hebrews then says in verse, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is your faith driving you to do? Does it permeate everything you do in your life? Or do you let your need for comfort, your need for your own thing become more important than living for God. And I know a lot of times we kind of picture this idea of living for God like some big thing. Right? Like I sell off all my stuff and I, I travel to some foreign country and I live in a grass hut and live for Jesus, right? That, that's what it means to live for God, right? I can't do that. So sometimes... Maybe I'm kind of, God hasn't called me to do that, so maybe I'm okay. I don't have to live for God like that, right? We make our faith and our, our idea of living for God these big things, right? But you know it's a lot scarier. Do you, you know it's a lot harder? Living for God in the mundane of where he has placed you right here and right now. When you head to the office or go to work that day, how are you living for God? There. What's that look like? We don't have to make it into some big, grand thing. Sometimes that makes it easier to write it off as something I can't do, right? Oh, my faith's not there yet. I can't live for God because my faith isn't that big. But that's not the point, right? There's a fantastic, there's um, at the, my favorite coffee shop is the Exquisite Corpse. It's up in Port Huron. It's downtown. I knew the owners there, so I go there like all the time, right? And um, one of my great cloud of witnesses that I like to look to, because I think that's still growing, right? We still have people that we can look to in our life right here, right now, who live by faith. And when I think of that, I think of this guy who goes to the corpse all the time, right? He's an older guy. Um, and uh, one of the regulars, so you kind of get to know the regular people at your coffee shop when you go to coffee shops. It's, it's a coffee shop culture thing. It's weird, right? Um, I picked it up in Chicago. I don't... Anyway, so we go to the corpse, and he's there all the time. And there's another younger gal. She's probably my age, a little bit younger, who also goes there all the time. And they've actually started, gotten to where they actually have these planned times where they just kind of sit down and talk right? And, and they sit down and they talk about life stuff. And she, you know, shares her struggles and, and the things that she's trying to figure out. A lot of it, she's very philosophically minded, right? So she's thinking about all this, this stuff and, and trying to figure out what's the point in life? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do with this situation, right? And he's sitting there and he's talking to her about stuff. And well, what do you think about this? Or, or what, what about if you looked at it this way, right? And as I'm listening, wait a minute, these are all biblical concepts. I, I know this guy, he's a pastor, or not a pastor, he's a, he's a Christian, right? And um, really great guy. 
he's pastoring her. <laughs> she has no idea, right? Like he's actually walking alongside her in life and discipling her. And I, I, I hope and I pray and I would love that he would actually be able to bring her to faith in Christ one day. That would be amazing, right? But when you think about it, look at the faith of this guy, right? All he's doing is going to a coffee shop. It's something as simple as that. And he's doing the work of God. She might not even notice it. People sitting around wouldn't even notice it, right? He's just talking through life with her. But he's walking through the discipleship of, of, of God, right? Our faith belongs everywhere we go, and, and no matter what we might have to endure because of it. And when we think about this idea of faith, right, it's, it's, it's really nice to look at the stuff that we can do, right? The, the power that comes from the effectiveness of our faith. When we actually put our faith in Christ and, and live for him and do what he has called us to do, there's really great things that can happen from that, right? That's nice, but here's another thing that I tend to think of when I was reading this passage. I've got a lot of things going on right now. You're talking about my life like I'm supposed to be on the offensive, but a lot of times I feel so often like I'm struggling more with the defensive that I can't get out there and live for Christ, right? I'm struggling with all the things I'm trying to just keep from crushing me, right? There are so many things in my life that I struggle with, hard things going on that just aren't working, or I'm struggling with this sin that I just can't kick. I'm not even sure if my faith can get me through this, let alone sharing that faith with others and, and showing them who Christ is. And that's where I love, the, the author of Hebrews then moves on to this idea of the enduring power of faith. Going through the struggles and, and the hardships of life and how that is something that our faith carries us through. Chapter 12, starting in verse 3, he says, Consider him endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not like sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moments, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Our faith in God helps us endure through difficult things because we can see the purpose behind it. And I'm not saying we might see the exact purpose behind it. I don't know where God's going to teach me out of this thing I'm going through right now, right? 
But what I can do is I can look to the promise of God that he will grow me in my faith. He will help me grow closer to him despite the circumstances I'm going through. In fact, even struggle can actually produce more growth in faith than if it was simply easy all the time, right? And the author of Hebrews is pointing to the way parents work as a perfect example of that, right? Back last fall, um, Addie was just starting to get a little older and we were able, I know, I tried so hard, like, I cannot have a sermon where she's not in it somewhere now. It's crazy. Um, so last fall, right, we are going, we go to the beach because she's old enough. She can crawl around and explore things a little bit more now, right? And it's just so much fun. And so we take her there and we're trying to get some, you know, cool baby pictures because she's a baby and we want to have nice pictures, you know. And we're there and she's at the beach. It's at the Lighthouse Beach up in Port Huron. And uh, that beach it's a very rocky beach. Like when you get to the waterfront, there's like these tiny, tiny little pebbles just all along it, right? And she finds the pebbles and she, she, she's like digging her hands in it and it's cute, you know, oh, cool, right? And she this this pedal. And she gets this look on her face like, I know what this is for. <laughs> this is a snack and she goes to eat it, right? No, stop, right? Well, there's hundreds of these little things. Oh, okay, I can't have that for another one, right? And we are not going to let her munch on these little rocks, right? You don't eat rocks, sorry, right? She got so mad at us. Like, she was not happy that we were taking these rocks from her, right? She just, she was convinced that we were just the meanest parents in the world, right? We just don't want her to have any fun. How dare we take these little snacks from her, right? Years down the road, I am sure she will be very happy that we taught her not to eat rocks. Um, that's usually considered kind of odd, right? But how often do we treat our struggles that we go through in life just like that, right? How could you do this to me, God? Why do I have to go through this? And we see here... I'm just trying to help you get to a better place. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. I know you don't like it. And I just find it so funny how often, even we as Christians, we, we, we look at a passage like this and we kind of turn it around and we still try to kind of make ourselves a hero of the story, right? I know this is hard now, but I'm going to make it through it because I know there's something for me to learn from this, right? And, and like, it, it's almost like we're trying to make it like, yeah, I'm going to grow out of this because I'm a good Christian, right? <laughs> but that's, that's not even the point, right? The point isn't whether we're a good Christian, so we're okay with this moment right now. It's do you actually go th grow through this struggle? It's not something that we have to be okay with the moment simply because it's something that's going to grow me but we can find encouragement in that. We can find the strength to make it through that. We are giving an enduring power through our faith in God because we know that he will hold to his promises. And I love looking to our cloud of witnesses for that because as the author points out, they didn't get to see the whole promise of the Messiah come full circle until after they had passed away. 
I can't see where I'm growing right now through this difficulty, through whatever it is that I'm going through, through this pandemic that I am just sick and tired of having to live through, right? And I don't even know if I will actually be able to see what the effects of that are until the other side of eternity. But that's not the point. The point is, I know that God is carrying me through it. And I can get through it. It's not going to be easy. I'm not going to like it, but I can get through it. Because it's not just the enduring, but there is a refining power in faith. We actually grow through the difficulties that we have, through this life that we live through. Difficulty works on our faith in ways that we couldn't find in comfort. So I want to encourage you today with this whole idea. We've talked about the power of faith, right? The effective, accomplishing power of faith. We can live through God. Our faith in God drives us to live for him in ways that we couldn't do on our own. And there's the enduring power of faith. God has led his people through incredible things. And they have been able to hold on to him and his love by the faith that he gives them. And it's more than just living through it. He actually refines us through it. He, he has, there is a refining power in faith. We actually grow in that. And because of that, there is incredible hope to be found in our faith in Christ. And that's the last part of this chapter. I'm just going to read it really quick. We're running out of time here. Verse 18 of chapter 2. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire in darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. He's talking about Moses here when he was on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments and the people down below freaked out and they didn't know what to do because Moses was gone for a really long time. That's a really quick recap of the story, but that's it, right? Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. He's saying the, the glory of God that was on that mountaintop, Moses himself, who had like this one-on-one, -on -one, like he talked to God kind of relationship, was terrified of it. You get to approach that mountain because you have the incredible redemption of Jesus Christ because of your faith in him. you get to experience that. Keep reading with me in verse 25 here. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if he did not escape when they refused him who, we, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will only shake the earth, but also the heavens. 
This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Now, this is really, really complicated wording, but it's describing what we've been talking about in Revelation, right? Like, that's, that's what we've been looking at here. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our faith in God carries over through all of that. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There was a guy um, that I got to know. It, uh, he went to Abigail's church and um, from her home church growing up down in Ohio. And I had the opportunity to do an internship at that church under the pastor. So I got to know all of the people that were kind of the staple church people that she had looked up to growing up. And it was really, really cool. Uh, there was a guy there. His name was Bob Webb. When, when I met him, he was 89 years old. And when I think of my cloud of witnesses, those who I can look to of having this kind of faith, he's one of them. He was one of those guys who could not wait for Jesus to come back. Ever meet one of those people who, that's like what they're always talking about, right? Like, it, it, it comes up in literally everything. Like, if, if this doesn't, you know, maybe tomorrow, but if Jesus comes back, then, you know, I'm okay with that. I would rather have that, right? He was so excited for Jesus to come back, and he was pretty sure it was going to happen in his lifetime. He thought it was happening, right? And Bob Webb, always talking about Jesus coming back, right? And so excited about this. When Abigail and I got married, I, I love how he worded this. Everyone comes up and talks to you afterward, right? They have something to say. What he said to us really stuck with me. He said, you know, I cannot wait for Jesus to come back. But if he doesn't do that yet, I pray that he will give you many long years ahead just loved this both-and kind of faith that he had of, I really want this to happen. But if it doesn't happen in, you know, your lifetime, I pray that the years that you have are wonderful. What a great example of the faith that we are called to have. Looking forward to what we have and, and can expect and hope in because of our salvation in Christ, that eternal, everlasting, wonderful new life that we get to live, but then also living for God in the wonderful new life that he has given us here that should drive us to live in a way that reflects who God is. Enforcing justice, giving the hope of Jesus Christ to others, sharing with those who may not know that great goodness of God. And all of this is possible because of the assurance of things hoped for. And we've spent almost an entire year talking about the full culmination of those things hoped for. And I don't know about you, part of me is a little sad it's all over. I've really kind of enjoyed the book of Revelation, so thank you, Pastor Terry, for that. It was amazing. But now that we have the full picture of it, it really kind of helps me. This is the end goal that should drive us to live out a life of powerful, effective, enduring, refining faith. 
And we may not experience the full promises of this in our lifetime, but they should drive us to live for God because they are very real promises. And we have an incredible new life in him that we can live filled with powerful faith that he gives us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love, for the faith that you give us. The book of Ephesians tells us that that faith isn't even something that we ourselves, it's your gift to us. (laughs) Thank you for that gift of faith. There are incredible things that you have called us to do for you. They might look small for us, but they're what you called us to do, so that you have given us the opportunity to live. And it might be through some difficulty. It might be through struggle. And we might not know why or how. We might not even like it right now. But I know we can make it through it because when I look to your promises, when I look to your promise that you love us and you guide us and you work through us, whatever it is I'm going through, I know that it is worth it and I want to live for you. I pray we can all share in that same incredible loving faith that you have given us. And because of what he did, it is all found in that we pray. Amen.